0: Uh, but money has never been of interest to me it's never been a motivator um what is of interest to me is um people around the world who are trying to do good work and uh, i get to connect with them and i get to my life is so much richer having traveled to 18 quote-unquote developing countries this is a podcast
1: called walk talk listen Good day everybody. This is another episode of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen and as always I'm delighted with today's guest who's a good friend of mine. Uh, Brian
0: why don't you introduce yourself? Go ahead please. Uh, Thanks Maurice. Uh, My name is Brian Bach and uh, Maurice and I got to know each other by serving on a board of an organization called Growing Hope Globally and became acquaintances and friends and I just developed a great deal of respect for him and his leadership style and so we've, uh, we've been friends now for a number of years. Uh, I have uh, spent the last 40 years in nonprofits, in management, and leadership roles, uh, some of them faith-based nonprofits, like Catholic Relief Services, and some of them secular nonprofits. But basically, I've spent my working adult life, working in the nonprofit sector, mostly with organizations focused on uh, addressing global poverty, uh, both domestic and global poverty. And today I have my own management and leadership consulting organization. What I really love doing is uh, working with young leaders uh, and doing coaching with them, uh, because I'm really excited about the next generation of leaders coming into the nonprofit sector. So that's my focus today. That's what I do uh, as well as do a fair amount of uh, management consulting. And today I'm, I'm wearing a hat from Puerto Rico. I just returned from working with nonprofits in Puerto Rico and fell in love with the island and the people of Puerto Rico oh it suits you well <laughs>
1: um so so Brian, tell us um a bit about because yeah you 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 were talking about leadership, you've also written articles about it and and so yeah t- tell the audience
0: what are you looking for and what what type of coaching do you do yeah well let, let me um just a little bit of background. I graduated, went in the eighties to get an m b a thinking it would be useful in the nonprofit sector to get an MBA. It was a challenging experience, um, just because I, most of the people in the class were not sharing my values. My intent was to go get an MBA and then go two years in the Peace Corps uh, in Africa, um, and, which I'm still hoping to do at one point. I'm only 62, so I still have time to do that. Um, but um, but I, I never took a class in leadership. I got an MBA and nobody talked about leadership. So when I came back to Washington, I was, this was in San Francisco, San Francisco State. I came back to Washington, DC, which is where I had grown up. And I worked for a management training and consulting organization that only worked with nonprofits. We were a nonprofit ourselves. We only worked with nonprofits. Somebody handed me a book on servant leadership. I'm like, what is this? And reading that just transformed my life. Probably screwed me up as well because it's a challenging way to think about leadership. But the idea is very simple. As leaders, we have our primary responsibility is to serve the people that we work with, not to serve the clients, to serve the people that we work with. And if we serve them well, then they'll serve the mission of the organization. Or if you're a for-profit business, you'll make more money, believe it or not, if you serve your employees. And it's a counter-revolutionary idea that was promulgated by a guy named Robert Greenleaf, who was an AT&T consultant. He didn't work for nonprofits. He spent his career in, in, in business. AT&T was one of the biggest and most successful corporations on the planet. And he pushed, pushed this idea and wrote a book called Servant Leadership, which launched the concept, codified, what, uh, codified frankly, as a concept that goes back far beyond him. And in fact, I would argue from my faith position that Jesus Christ taught that model initially when he washed the feet of his disciples and told his disciples to do the same. But anyway, Greenleaf, business guy, taught this idea and I picked up this book and and transformed the way I thought about leadership. So my role has been to try to promote the idea internally and now with clients that the only way to lead effectively is to serve the people that you work with. And by doing so, they will become better, stronger, more efficient, more effective, and better able to move the mission that you're trying to promote in the world. So that's, I think, at a core of my philosophical orientation. Servant leadership by itself is not enough. You need more than just servant leadership, but it is certainly a physical, uh, philosophical grounding, I think, underpins what I do and I think what some of the best leaders in the world do. Uh, And by the way, in the corporate world, Southwest Airlines is an excellent example of this. The CEO founded this company with the idea that they were going to serve their employees and serve their customers, and they have been consistently one of the most profitable airlines in, uh, across the uh, history of, of the air industry.
1: During your time with CRS, were you a good servant
0: leader? You can't, I can't answer that question. A servant, a leader can't answer whether they're <laughs> a servant leader. You're going to, you'd have to ask my staff, uh, and the colleagues, uh, um, I know uh, I attempted to, and I worked at it, and every employee that ever worked with me first got a booklet on servant leadership. Mm-hmm. And I said, this is what you hold me accountable to, is making sure that every day you come in here, you walk out feeling more empowered, more able to serve others because I'm serving you. Did I fail at that? Frequently. <laughs> did I lose my temper at times? Did I get frustrated? Did I uh, you know, did I have to fire people? Yes, uh, I did. Um, but I attempted to bring that philosophical approach, even though I failed. So you had to keep on coming back to it. I think a key characteristic of leadership is your ability to keep on growing. Mm-hmm. And so at 62, I feel like I now know uh, very little and I have a lot more to learn. And, and I'm just eager to, to learn more from everyone, including young people. Okay.
1: You, you know, you in your introduction, you talked about Puerto Rico. You just came back. So what were you doing there? Was that in relation to your consultants? Uh, Yes,
0: I I was working with a a 27-year-old who is my client there, who is starting up an organization called the Monte Azul Foundation, Hmm. the Blue Mountain Foundation, uh, to train young people in Puerto Rico uh, in hydroponics and how to grow food. It's an island that uh, is whether you, depending on who you talk to, it's either a territory, a nation, or a colony. So, um, and they're in a very unique status uh, in 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 terms of their relationship to the U.S., but they are part of the U.S. Uh, as a territory, according to the U.S., uh, and I was working with them to try to, um, working with the Montezul Foundation to try to uh, help find some land, because he needs to acquire some land to uh, um, teach hydroponics, uh, but then made a lot of connections within uh, the nonprofit world and within the Catholic world, which is very influential including connecting with a wonderful servant leader who's the head of Caritas, Puerto Rico, uh, who I think was a great example, as well as spending time with some nuns who consistently across the world, I find within the Catholic universe or the heart of the church, they're doing really the important work, God's work, uh, in rural communities and urban areas across the world. Hmm. Um.
1: Yeah. But what I wanted to ask you, uh, Brian, so if, if people are interested in working with you, uh, where should they go? Do you have a website or? Um...
0: It's a good question. I, I don't have a website right now. I hope mm-hmm. to within so the next you... week or two, yeah. <laughs> but they can email me at, at, yeah. brian.b-a-c-k-e at outlook.com. Um, And I'm not hard to find on LinkedIn. Uh, it's a, my name is actually a Norwegian derivative. My grandfather came over from Norway, and it was Baka, Bakke, B-A-K-K-E, mm-hmm. and uh, the guy, the the uh, helpful agent at Ellis Island changed it to B-A-C-K-E. Don't ask me why, but they did that to a lot of immigrants. And so uh, it's Bach. It's pronounced like the composer, but it's uh, spelled B-A-C-K-E. Great. Right. So I will make sure that you know the the listeners
1: will be able to find it in the podcast the podcast now. Yeah, you you know where why I started this this uh, a podcast. It's a spin-off of a um, hundred mile walk that I started ten years ago. I actually you're the first person uh, <laughs> I talk with uh, after I did uh, my tenth hundred mile walk, and I you know I I discuss about many many different topics when I'm walking with people, and it's quite interesting. And and one of the questions I always uh, end up talking about is you know what drives you what Mm. drives you in life you know when the your alarm goes off in the morning what is it why do you get up and you know
0: start Mm. Uh, it's a great question Um, I think it goes back to what I talked about before but a simpler level I think uh, I was put on this earth to try to serve other people and you get a tremendous amount of pleasure from that you get a lot of satisfaction um, I decided uh, when I got an MBA to to go into the nonprofit sector. And I think I've calculated at one point, I probably gave up about $2 million in revenue. Uh, but money has never been of interest to me. It's never been a motivator. Um, what is of interest to me is um, people around the world who are trying to do good work. And um, I get to connect with them. And I get to, my life is so much richer having traveled to, 18 quote unquote developing countries, a term I hate, by the way, because I don't think uh, the countries I get to travel to are developing in any way. Places in Africa have so much to teach us and people in Puerto Rico. But anyway, my life has been rich enriched by that. So every morning I get up and I get up very early in the morning uh, and uh, I have the opportunity to do amazing work with amazing people. I feel like my role right now in life, in addition to leadership development, is connecting good people who are doing good things to other good people who are doing good things. So I do a lot of connecting dots um, across the globe, not just in the US, in fact, more internationally as much as domestically. Um, What motivated me, so my first experience, I was 15 years old and I worked in a restaurant, Marriott Corporation-owned restaurant in Washington, DC. And I I was a low man on the totem pole, had to bring the trash out one evening. And so I'm carrying the trash out and there were about a dozen young men eating out of the garbage dumpster. And I grew up very middle class. My dad worked for NASA. Um, I had never really been exposed to that before. And so these young men approached me. I was a little scared, to be honest. And they said, uh, uh, can you bring us some food? I said, of course I can bring food. We have, it's 12 o'clock at night. There's lots of food that we're gonna throw away. I went in and made a plate full of sandwiches. And then I brought them back out. Well, I didn't make it out because you can know where the story's going. The manager caught me halfway through. I said, what are you doing? And I said, well, there's all these guys eating out of the dumpster and I want to bring them sandwiches. And um, he said, no, you've got to throw those away. I said, you mean you want me to throw them away and then bring them out in the dumpster trash can that I'm going to take out and then delete it out of there? And he said, that's exactly what I want you to do. If you don't do that, they're going to encourage them. And tomorrow we'll have 20 or 50 or 100. So he made me throw these sandwiches in the trash can and I had to carry them out. And then the guys were eating the sandwiches that out of the the dumpster that I just made for them. The most undignified thing I'd ever seen. Now from corporate America's point of view and Marriott's corporation is a good company. They do a lot of good work. But from their point of view, they're not in the business. They didn't believe they're in the business of of taking care of the homeless. I fundamentally disagree with that notion. And I'm angry today, how many decades later that, that I had to do that but it woke me up to the reality as a white middle-class person that there's something fundamentally wrong with the way the system's working. That these folks in a country that has more food than we possibly can eat, and I was throwing away literally trash cans full of food. These men, undignified, just because they happen to be homeless, had to eat out of the dumpster. So that story set me off on a path that uh, that I'm on today to figure out how we can not only deal with poverty at a at a a level of a food bank or which are very important but also fundamentally the systems of poverty that keep people from being able to eat and and people when they get down and get in trouble become homeless how do you help people uh, with dignity to find their path so that's i there's a certain amount of righteous anger i have around this that uh, i try to keep contained because it scares people but it is it's never going to go away
1: Let me. No, thanks for sharing that, Brian. Let let us, let me piggyback a little bit on on the systems, the system is you know that we have developed as a, as a world. Um, and and um, you know my as you might know my organization is celebrating seventy five years mm. of uh, existence. Um, we use it as a time to reflect, you know, look mm. back, but also okay, what do we need to do in the in the now and in the future. One of the big things uh, that we are looking at is uh, racial justice. Mm. And um, now the question that I have for you is more for NGOs or faith-based NGOs or NGOs in general as a sector. um, How do you think that sector did uh, on racial justice?
0: Honestly, I'd and I know a... it's
1: it's it's difficult to generalize. You know, there are no, different types no. of NGOs, right? So, but still, I would like to hear a reflection of
0: of you. Uh, yeah, I give us a C minus, and why? Well, the only reason I'm giving us such a high grade is I think the the goal, the intent is good, the uh, the desire to do the right thing is good. But what I see in uh, around the world is. Um, in NGOs, typically, not all across the board, historically has been well-intentioned, very intelligent, Harvard, Yale-educated, white people that look like me, traveling to go help other people. In countries like Uganda, just literally got the phone with a colleague in Uganda, Um, there are plenty of people with PhDs and masters in Uganda. (laughs) They don't need me to come in. Um, so let me make this very personal and very real. So a few years ago, I went and did a farmer-to-farmer farmer, uh, assignment three weeks in Uganda, and I was teaching leadership. Uh, and I would, I insisted the first few days be a training of trainers. But after that, I ended up in rural villages, uh, teaching leadership in rural villages. And when I came back, I said to my colleagues, I said, I think this is a mistake. I, I think Ugandans should be teaching Ugandans about leadership. I don't know the culture. I don't know the language. Uh, most people in Uganda speak English, but in rural villages, not so much. said it's, it's a mistake. I sh- if, if I have a role in this, which by the way, then they adjusted. And I was doing virtually training leaders, I should be training leaders or training of trainers or collaborating with partners in Uganda who are going to do the training in rural villages. There's no way I should show up in a rural village doing anything. Other than being there, being uh, so I, where I go with this, with that specific example, is uh, we want to help people. Yeah. Well, you know, helping can be uh, very detrimental if it undermines their um, sense of autonomy, their confidence. People around the world look to the United States as an example, uh, um, but we have a lot to learn from them, and they have plenty of strong, talented leaders. And what happens in the NGO world needs to change. Right now, we need Ugandan leaders leading in Uganda, we need Kenyan leaders in Kenya, Puerto Rican leaders in Puerto Rico. They know their culture, they know their their environment. We need to be supporting them, sometimes financially, sometimes in other ways. But I think the NGO world has too oftentimes had the um, white savior complex. We're going to come in, we're going to help people, and I think that that's a flawed mentality, especially today. You do you see because you were
1: uh, alluding to that you work a lot with young leaders as well. Do you see a change in uh, the way younger generation is dealing with this issue?
0: Yeah, I'm so, I'm very excited about the young leaders I'm connecting with across the world. They're bright, they're talented, they've got they have passion. They also have some sense of balance. Uh, they seem to have perspective about the world that we didn't have. Um, so, yes, I see them, and I see them not tolerant of some of the behaviors that... We older leaders promulgated um, the idea of top-down autocracy. I mean, most young people will not put up with that. Um, and I think the exposure uh, around to to television to to what's going on, I think the the internet has really opened up and democratized people's thinking around this. so yes, i'm I'm very excited that I think that they are going to be uh, better leaders than we are. I think they can use some guidance because um, oftentimes what happened is, the legacy of colonialism, particularly in the developing world, has been a top-down style of leadership that, mm-hmm. frankly, has been carried over. I'm the boss; I get to make the decisions. Mm-hmm. That's very feeds our egos as human beings, but doesn't work very effectively. And I see young people challenging that. Mm-hmm. I see them cha- challenging racial assumptions, and I see them challenging uh, gender equities—a whole bunch of assumptions that have been put forth by organizations. Uh, over the centuries. And I think I'm very optimistic and encouraged by what I'm seeing with young people and young leaders in particular. What do you see among uh, young people
1: happening around uh, religion and spirituality? And, and, you know, the reason I'm asking is that, you know, some of my, the people that I've talked to during those walks and virtually said, you know, the, the, actually the younger generation is similar to the older generation. The only difference is that they, uh, you know, they're not leaning towards, many of them are not leaning towards institutionalized religion. Others are saying, no, religion is more out. It's more spirituality. How, how do you see, you know, what, what do you see uh, from your point of view happening around young uh, people and, and these topics? Wow,
0: it's a great question. So I am uh, an active Catholic. Um, but also very deeply believe in all faiths. I'm, a, I'm very uh, a big fan of Judaism. I've gotten to work for the Protestant Church for many years. gotten to know uh, Hindus in India. I've gotten to meet with Buddhists elsewhere, so I'm a very much a believer in the value of all faiths. I just happen to be Catholic and I'm an active Catholic. Um, so that's my position where I'm coming from. Uh, institutional churches have done a terrific job chasing away young people. Um, we are slow to change, uh, and we're putting forth values that young people will not accept, and frankly, that I don't accept. The intolerance of gay people, uh, the judgmental part of that, which, by the way, Pope Francis, who I think the world of, has said, you know, who am I to judge? Um, So if more bishops and more clergy would follow Pope Francis, I think we'd be in much better shape. Young people are flocking away from the organized church, Protestant and Catholic, I don't know what's happening in the Hindu world. I know Judaism is struggling with the same thing. Organized religion, particularly among the three Abrahamic um, faiths, are are struggling because young people are saying, I don't understand. The values that you talk about, in my case, Jesus's values, which were oftentimes about tolerance and love, don't seem to align with what I'm hearing from the pulpit. So I don't want to be any part of an organization. Young people see the issue of how gays are being treated as the civil rights issue of the day, and they're not putting up with it. And God bless them, I am I'm completely with them on this. That said, the churches do more good in the world than any other institution I know of. And I've got a chance to meet with nuns and brothers and sisters and lay people and Protestants and Muslims, and Jews and Hindus doing incredible work, oftentimes faith-driven from their point of view, not because other people believe in faith, but I've seen some of the best work in the world being done by faith-based organizations, including church World services, which I'm a huge fan of, Catholic relief services, which I'm a huge fan of. Good work being done. But um, but organized church sometimes gets the way of people understanding and seeing all the good work that's being done by um, by uh, through the structure of organized religion, by individuals who happen to be connected with it. Uh, and the church itself does a lot of good, but it also is doing a lot of harm.
1: What are some of the things that you worry about at the moment?
0: I am worried about climate change. The three big issues right now, global poverty is on increase. It was on a decrease for many years. COVID has pushed people back into poverty. We're pushing now... Again, close to a billion people who are food insecure. That is unacceptable. I worry about, um, I, I, I'm deeply upset about racial injustice in the way that things seem to have gotten worse, not just in the US, but in other parts of the world too. And of course, climate change. I have seen visually, I mean, coming back from Puerto Rico and the impact of Hurricane Maria, this, this, earth, this earthquake was a while ago. And and uh, they're still not fully rebuilt. And those mm-hmm. earth, those hurricanes are getting. They never before saw a hurricane sweep the entire island one time. So climate change is real. It's having a huge impact on the poor, particularly the most marginalized people. So those three issues: poverty, uh, and, um, climate change, and, and racial injustice. So those are the three things that
1: mm-hmm.
0: I don't say keep me up at night because I am encouraged that young people are focused on those things. But I certainly spend a lot of my energy. In fact, all of my energy every day, looking at how I can support leaders that are working on those things.
1: And the way you talk about young people, is that's where your
0: hope still is? I have tremendous hope. Yeah, I mm-hmm. think uh, I, I, I think gen- gener- leaders at our age, either we've gotten it or we're not going to get it, frankly, mm-hmm. unless they go through some kind of life-changing crisis moment. They're either going to get it or they're not going to get it, either they're servant leaders or not. So mm-hmm. I'm not interested in working with leaders at our age at this point. I think the young people are the ones that are going to move the needle on this. And I'm very, very optimistic about, um, about their ability and their passion and their um, peripheral vision, if you will, how they're looking at the world in a slightly uh, broader way than, than we did. Mm. You
1: know, listening to the three topics that you mentioned where, where you worry um it re- it reminds me of of uh, the sustainable development goals mm-hmm. and during this podcast i always you know try to you know some, somehow get it in because i i really think that the world needs to know that as a world we signed up you know to reach those 17 goals it might be a lot but it's a start it's it gives us some handles to say you know we need to do a better job in 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 making this world more sustainable Um, if, you know, if I ask you, um, you know, tell something about the sustainable development goals to the listeners, what is, what is it that you would like to lift up? Mm.
0: Well, I hate to say it, but you sort of alluded to it. uh, 17 goals are too many. (laughs) So, um, now I'm Catholic, so I'm always thinking about the Trinity, but I think the reason that God put forth the Trinity is because we can only remember three things. And you know, 17 things is too many. <laughs> so think, first of all, they have to boil it down. Um, uh, fundamentally, I think sustainable. I think it's great that the world's come together around some core goals that uh, are going to reshape. would hopefully reshape the way we think about and respond to the planet. Um, fundamentally, we need to figure out how to build more equity into the world. There needs to be. Uh, there's too much income inequ- inequity. There's too much. Uh, There are too many um, challenges that we're facing that fundamentally poor people around the world are being held down consistently by systems of injustice that are preventing them from getting opportunities to pull themselves out of poverty. People want to work. Uh, This notion that people don't want to work is nonsense. Uh, I've never met anybody that would prefer to have a handout than work, except if they're mentally broken, which then they need mental health. Um, but most people want to work they desperately want to work they need opportunity economic opportunities Um, so we have to deal with that question of how do you provide real economic opportunities for people Um, and how do we deal with the things that I just mentioned I think those are the big three for me Um, you know uh, the climate change is a core development goal it's got to be addressed Mm -hmm. because I've been to Bangladesh and seen what happens when a typhoon comes in I saw the I've been in the Philippines that saw the, the, the destruction that happened from Typhoon Haiyan. Um, the poor people tend to be in the places where nobody else wants to be. So here, rich people want to be on the beach. In the Philippines, poor people are on the beach because they can squat on that land. And everybody that has any money knows that that's the first place to get hit by one of the 20 typhoons that are, by the way, getting stronger and stronger. So they're the first people that are going to get killed. And that's exactly what happened during that, that typhoon. So, and that the corresponding tsunami. Um, so we've got to address these goals. I do feel like there's a lot there. And um, I think from a organizational point of view, boiling these down to some core principles that can help people wrap their heads around sustainable development goals. Ultimately, it comes down to how do we translate these broad goals into behavior that people can, average people can do. Translate the idea of climate change into something real. You know, so I think that's the big challenge for us, those that think about these things. Um, How do we make it real for people and actionable so that they can actually take meaningful action or even small. Mother Teresa has a great line. um, I can't do big things, but I can do small things with great love. So we can each do something small with great love. And I think that will that can make a significant contribution towards the the development goals that the, the world's putting forth.
1: that uh you know you mentioning that um because you know that's basically also the theme of of my 10th 100 mile walk don't be overwhelmed by all the Mm -hmm. challenges out there because you know there is the power of one and Mm -hmm. don't underestimate you know the actions that you take and 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 it's possible effect and that that could be as simple as a smile uh you know to to another
0: person, so so um they're just yeah, not I, I, not ignoring the homeless person you walk past. Say hello, yeah. even if you don't give them money. and Treat them like a human being, you know. Uh, uh, you yeah, know that's that's a that's an easy one that anyone else can do, and you'll discover sometimes you'll find that they were a former stockbroker. Many times you'll find out they were a former vet. You know we venerate the vets and we honor their service, but we ignore them when they're homeless. Um, you know, so a lot of a lot of homeless vets and they deserve uh, just a conversation. And, and whatever support we can give them. So, yes, I love what you're doing, Maurice. That's brilliant because that's, yeah, you know, we get overwhelmed. We all, as people, can get overwhelmed by the scale of the problems. And, but if you do something small every day, I think, you know, you'll feel better, you'll feel better about the world, and the world will be a slightly better place.
1: Great. Hey, uh, Brian, I, I love music, so I always have a music related <laughs> question, uh, you know, as well. Um, if I'm going to ask you to, mention a piece of music or a song that best embodies what you are about um yeah which song or piece of music would
0: you um, mention well what immediately comes to mind is fiddle on the roof my favorite all-time movie have you seen it Yeah, yeah 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 um and uh you know, there's a there's a, there's, just, there's a couple great songs in there, so it'd be hard to pick. But the one that always comes to my mind is "If I Was a Rich Man," mm. uh, because it's tongue-in-cheek, and in this poor man has thinks that what will happen is if he'll be happy all of a sudden if he becomes rich. And I think throughout the course of the movie, uh, for those that don't, most people probably have seen this, but if this is about the Jewish persecution in Russia, um the pogroms that were being inflicted on them. But it was a written from a sort of a tongue-in-cheek point of view or a, a humorous point of view. And tevia the lead character, thinks that if he just is rich, he's gonna be able to sit in the synagogue and pray all day. And people will respect it. And there's a great line, people will listen to me, they'll respect me if I'm rich. And that's the perception a lot of us have. You know, if we only hit the lottery, my goodness, then our life is gonna be all better. Well, an awful lot of people hit the lottery and end up being very depressed. <laughs> like the statistics are awful for people that win the lottery. So the idea that you know money is going to buy you uh, joy and happiness is, uh, I think most of us probably have heard, that's a pretty flawed logic. And data doesn't tend to support that. So I think what he discovers over the course of the movie is that what he has is very rich. His family is rich. His home is rich. So forced out of his home, but he still has his family. And he has his ability to care for other people and love other people. And that ultimately is Brings riches in your life and brings riches into
1: the world. Yeah, while I was listening to you, I, you know, I was reminded that I, I think if, if, uh, I, well, I hope if there's one thing that we have learned as a species now because of COVID is that. You know, what is important in life and and it i think it yeah. goes back to your loved ones you, you know to your family your friends uh yeah. than anything else than uh more than than money um at least that's what i hope we we have learned and, and we are learning um you know you actually i think it's three years ago now if i'm not mistaken uh you joined me for uh, the last day of my hundred mile ball yeah. Yeah. um if, if you would be asked to walk 100 miles for a cause, for a reason,
0: why would you walk? I do feel like those core issues, uh, would, it would be easy for me to, to walk for poverty, um, to, to organizations that are trying to address it in a, in a, in a constructive way. Um, and climate change, of course. I, I really am deeply troubled by, um, by the level of racial uh, challenges we have in our country now. Um, my oldest friend in the world who is a Haitian American and uh, introduced me at the idea, age of 15 to this idea that, uh, that of what now is being called white privilege, that I didn't know what I didn't know growing up in my isolated bubble. So I just I feel like we have to tackle this one. I don't feel like it's impossible that we bring some racial equity to this country. So just in terms of domestic issues, I think I'm really deeply troubled and would love to spend more time working on that particular issue. Climate change has gotta be addressed. And it's gotta be a worldwide movement. Fortunately, there's some momentum now uh, with the Paris Climate Accords and other things around that. And poverty, poverty is fixable. <laughs> and you and I know that, Maurice, it's fixable. We've, I've seen in my lifetime, 40,000 children died of preventable disease when I started in this work in 1980 now it 's fifteen thousand still unacceptably high, but we've made progress people don 't hear the good news on this. We can eliminate childhood poverty and starvation and disease if we choose to as a world. We have the resources to do it so that 's the bigger challenge, but I, I think at the moment i I feel like the one that needs more needs to be attended to at least domestically and and this is happening elsewhere, but here in the u s is the racial the challenges we have with racial inequity and I think being spending the last 15 years working in baltimore uh one of the places where i think it's most pronounced one of the places yeah. where it's most pronounced in the, in the united states has heightened my awareness of that and i worked my office catholic leaf services my office literally was one mile from where freddie gray was killed yeah so it became very real uh that day yeah. well
1: thanks brian for, for that i i, I uh I think that's really important. And, and, you know, not only in the States. It's, it's outside outside of the U.S. as well. Um, you know, it's, um, yeah, different manifestations, but uh, a lot of similarities at the yeah, same time. Um, yeah. Hey, it, it always goes fast, uh, these conversations. Um, any last question, uh, message, or uh, invitation for the listeners from your side?
0: Yeah, no, I, I'm grateful for this time. This is fabulous. And uh, as you know, a big fan of you and a big fan of the organization you are for. Um, um, I, I think um, it's a great question. I, I think I I'd, I'd encourage people to, especially people that are in leadership positions, to, to really think about whatever language works for you. Some people say servant leadership doesn't work for them. But think about how you lead other people and by the way leadership I don't at all think start only happens at the top of an organization I told my team every all the time that leadership happens at all levels so we all oftentimes play a leadership role and you know I I become more and more convinced that the solution to the problems of the world have to start with people who are good leaders unfortunately the challenge to be a good leader is you have to start inside first you have to look at yourself and your motivations and how you operate, and how you treat other people, and so you start with that, and then you look outward from that, um, and and try to be a person, whether you're a leader or consider yourself a leader or not, who's dedicating your life to serving others. Uh, if you do, your life is richer and better, and you make the world a little better place. If we live only for ourselves, I think, then I think you find life is shallow and oftentimes. Uh, uh, not, not as fulfilling. So that would be my encouragement. Th-
1: thank you so much, Brian. I mean, I, I, uh, I always enjoy our conversations. and, and um, <laughs> Me too. Um, yeah, I continue to learn from you. So that's, that's great. I, I, I'm 100% sure the listeners uh, enjoy listening to you as well. I really encourage, you know, the listeners to check you, you out and to contact you if they're interested in, uh, you know, learning more. Uh, we make sure that uh, your email is is available in the in the in the notes of the podcast thank you you so much and uh, all the best with what you do
0: same with you and i hope you uh, recover from your walk soon (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure that it will be uh, good tomorrow thanks all right thank you bye-bye
1: you for listening to walk talk listen please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on facebook or instagram i just finished the 10th 100 mile walk and i really encourage you to check out our website 100mile.org to see how you can still contribute to this campaign thank you